Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. The news on oil this week is that U.S. crude production last week hit 12.7 million barrels per day. It's the highest post-pandemic number. It's only about 400,000 barrels per day below the all-time record, at least the kind of post-shale record in the U.S. And the shale industry is actually generating free free cash flow these days, which it wasn't back when it hit its all-time high back in 2019. But the key thing for us to note is that they had to drill for that oil, and that's why we call the podcast Drilling Deep. We also have a guest every week here on Drilling Deep, and this week it's somebody who isn't from trucking, but he knows how to help trucking companies. His name is David Cody of Nuity, and he ha- and he will be here to talk about the benefits of smaller trucking companies, or at least smaller trucking-related companies, getting financing through the Small Business Administration. Let's talk about inventories, because if you're a diesel consumer, it's an issue. Right now, ultra-low sulfur diesel inventories in the U.S. are running about 86% of where they're what they normally have been at this point on the calendar over the last 10 years. They are above where they were last year, but not by all that much. And last year, they were at pretty much, I hate to say rock bottom, but uh, oh, that 10-year span, that was definitely the lowest. And inventories this year have barely grown over the past several weeks. That is certainly a factor in why diesel prices have outpaced the movement in crude, which over the last two weeks was very much up and more recently has been down. One thing that we need to comment on is the role of interest rates in inventories. Putting any sort of commodity into storage has a cost to it. There is the time value of money, and it is obviously affected by the rate of interest. A company that buys a million dollars worth of inventory is financing the inventory. The company that buys that is financing the inventory either through borrowing the money through a financial institution or by committing its cash to that inventory, which means it is foregoing a rate of return on that cash that you would get in a bank or another financial institution. At these sorts of interest rates, that is a huge disincentive to build inventories. And that is one of the reasons why you do not see inventories rising when they should be as the diesel market gets ready for harvest season and then winter. When the world burns a lot of heating oil in winter, which is a distillate like diesel. When inventories are tight, the market moves into a structure known as backwardation. This is a price structure where the price of diesel declines as you go out the calendar. Right now, the front month traded in the ultra-low sulfur diesel market is September. But there's a price, too, for October and November and every month for several years out. And as you go out the curve, the price declines. That's backwardation. That's not a prediction that the price is going to be lower. It means that because markets are tight, the most valuable barrel is going to the barrel that you can get right now. And the fact, and in the fact that it costs money to build inventories or to store inventories, And the incentive then is to keep those inventories extremely low. How does that all end? The worst way it ends, actually, is that the economy weakens or even collapses, demand plunges, and the supply of diesel relative to that demand rises. That ends up with that oil going into inventory. The other way, and this is the good way from the perspective of a consumer, is that the spread between crude and diesel gets so lucrative, and it is pretty lucrative right now, that refiners make lots and lots of diesel. So even if demand holds steady, you still get more supply than you need and inventories start to build. But then looming over all this 
is is the fact that all this comes with a cost. All this building of inventories comes with a cost, and that cost is rising as a result of higher interest rates. It sounds like sort of a death loop, but I can assure you that the industry has gone through this before, and inventories do come back toward some level of normalcy eventually. But it's mid-August, and there's a real question of just how much they are going to rise before the three-headed combination rears its head. And what is that combination? It's harvest season, it's heating oil season, and it's maintenance season. When some refiners in September and October, and maybe into November, do heavy-duty maintenance on their plants, which generally leads to lower refinery operating rates. The number in inventory right now is about 106 million barrels of ultra-low sulfur diesel. That's U.S. inventories. I could tell you that right now, that really ain't enough. It's just hard to make a case that it is likely to rise anytime soon, but it needs to. Time to move on here now on Drilling Deep. For our guest today, we've got somebody who isn't really even in trucking, but he's in the business that is vital to trucking and that financing. His name is David Cody. He's the co-founder and co-CEO of Annuity, a provider of SBA loan solutions and employee retention credit services. He has described the lending situation out there as dire, and he's here to talk about how bad it is and some possible ways around it. So, David, welcome to Drilling Deep. Thank you very much. Uh, it's great to be on your podcast. So why don't you start by talking about Annuity and what it does? Sure. Nudie is a loan service provider uh, to a number of different organizations, government organizations that facilitate the flow of various forms of capital to small businesses all over the United States of America. Our origins were in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, we created a technology-enabled infrastructure to help process over 115,000 small business loans um, in the Paycheck Protection Program. So as many of, I'm sure your, your viewers know, the PPP program was created out of the CARES Act and was designed to help facilitate the flow of capital from the government to small businesses at a point of um, extreme stress and, and hardship. Um, we set up an organization to help facilitate that flow and the servicing of those loans. Uh, what that meant specifically is that uh, we had a portfolio of 115,000 underlying loans that we helped the borrowers, when they were eligible, get through forgiveness. As one expected, as we expected, the vast majority of our portfolio of loans has gone through forgiveness already. So those loans were... Let me just jump in here because I actually covered the PPP loans to the trucking industry for FreightWaves. So generally, uh, my understanding, the simplistic understanding, uh, is that if I was a trucking company or any kind of company, but let's say a trucking company, and I needed help, I would go to my banker. Um, and the banker would take care of the processing, and the banker would, would make the loan under the auspices of the PPP, and then would get paid back by the federal government. Where did you fit in there? So we were really the interface between companies and banks and the SBA. And what was really interesting is that the program was de novo, right? So it was created out of new legislation. There was no technology infrastructure that existed to help people uh, process it. And so what we did is created 
an organization and technology that facilitated the flow of information and then ultimately the flow of funds from you know the 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 government um through a financial institution to the company and then the information back to the government which allowed for the forgiveness so what was really created by nuity was a customer interface um that was technology enabled that's the core business that we then modified um to do other things we're helping to facilitate the flow of SBA 7A loans which is a partially government guaranteed loan that's designed to provide working capital to businesses like trucking businesses we're also facilitating the the flow of information to the IRS in order for a small business to be able to file an ERTC employee retention tax credit which is also um something that was created out of the CARES Act but this is IRS administered as opposed to SBA administered and so really the origins of nuity were in the facilitation of the paycheck protection program loans but we have subsequently invested in the business invested in our infrastructure improved our technology and now we broadly provide access to not just SBA 7A loans but the filing of ERTC and in fact other forms of financing to the extent that you know businesses want to avail themselves of those so who hires you who you know, who are your clients are they the IRS for example are they the banks that use your services to help facilitate the loans that they're going to really service kind of a, in the middle between that government agency and the final customer you know we really are counterparties are varied. It is the SBA, it is the IRS, it is in some instances banks and non-banks. We view our customers as the small businesses though. So, you know, the 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 journey that we're looking to constantly improve on is the journey of how to apply and then how to allow yourself to service the loan over the life. And so the vast majority of the time energy and money that we've invested in the technology and the process has been to make the customer experience easier in order to access this capital okay so clearly i mean, it's a good description what you just gave and i can see where you would be in a position to see the state of lending in this country today that's why i go back to your original comment your not your comment but it was in the uh, uh, the email i received from your colleague about uh, whether you like to be on drilling deep, and you describe the situation as dire. That's a pretty stark word. Can you expand on that? Well, I think the last I saw, interest rates have not been this high for 22 years, um, over 20 years. Um, that in itself creates an incredibly constricted credit environment, right? Just the cost of capital, the cost of government capital, which is the baseline for the cost of all other forms of capital, is the highest it's been in in over 20 years. Um, so the, the very um, active needing to service your debt as a function of the interest rate that's assigned to it is materially higher than it's been in a very, very long time. Um, that makes the broad credit environment very tight. 
it's exactly what the Federal Reserve has been trying to do when they've raised rates, is to dampen inflation and to restrict the flow of credit as a function of doing that, um, in the function of raising rates. On top of that, um, the risk appetite on the part of lenders has also constricted. So traditional sources of capital are not as freely lending money as they were five, six, seven, ten 10 years ago, pre-pandemic. Um, and when you add on top of that, you know, the, the sort of inflationary or cost input components of running a business today, those are also way up. So absolute cost of capital, lack of access to capital, and general cost inputs to run a business are all up, whether it be fuel or, you know, uh, cost of goods sold broadly defined for a manufacturer. Um, everything's up, which means the the environment is the most restricted we've seen in over 20 years. And I, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I, so I think, you know, that we, I think that the word was dire. I do think it's dire. I mean, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a difficult environment. Let's talk about interest rates and how they work. Um, for years, I think in these loans, the, it was a basis of a LIBOR plus or minus something, usually LIBOR plus because LIBOR was, was the best out there. LIBOR collapsed because of, like we'll call it fraud, and it was replaced by something called SOFR. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Are most of the loans that you're dealing with tied to the SOFR replacement for LIBOR? You know, they're they're really all based off of Prime, which is the, I think it's the U.S. version of LIBOR or SOFR. Um, you know, remember, those are benchmarks tied to interest rates in a specific country and or a jurisdiction. So you'd have the, you know, the loan that is based on prime is the US equivalent, if, if that, if my memory is, uh, is correct. Okay. So let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about the SPA. Look, the, the classic free market argument for something like the SPA was, would be if private capital is not there to lend, then that means there's a reason for it, a good reason for it. And we don't need the SBA. The argument, you know, the the, the more sort of uh, interventionist uh, pro-government action argument would be that this can fill in some of the gaps that the private industry, the private industry, is not able to fill themselves. And we need something like this. So talk about the SBA, its loan programs, and its kind of pros and cons. Sure. Um, I think I would start with saying that the private market solution to small business financing has never existed. So, you know, the 6,000 banks that are out there are not actively, for the most part, trying to do traditional loan products to small businesses. I think that until the Paycheck Protection Program, the country had never really seen uniform data to try and understand just how underfunded with loan product small businesses were. And with all that data, we did confirm what was our belief, but I think was is now proven out in the statistics is that, you know, traditional lending capital was not finding its way into the hands of small businesses. So the need for the SBA has been forever. 
And, you know, it is a facilitator of private, you know, private risk capital as a function of the government providing some kind of a guarantee to the loan, ranging in percentage guaranteed as a function of the size of the loan and other characteristics, but nonetheless, you know, providing some guarantee, which then allows for the unit economics relative to risk to be acceptable to financial institutions. Um, so these government-enhanced or government-guaranteed loan programs at the SBA are a way to use modest amounts of capital on the part of the government to get materially greater amounts of capital into the market via loan product. Uh, so so, so a, lo- a loan that's made possible, say a capital flow of $100,000, that's made possible by the SBA. It's generally not. What you're saying here is that it's not $100,000 coming out of the coffers of the SBA. It's coming out of some private institution with some sort of guarantee or backing from the SBA to protect that private institution from a, a default. Is that the way to best describe it? 100%. I mean, I think the SBA is is a is an incredibly good example of private-public partnerships. You know, the U.S. government should not be in the business of lending money to small businesses. So what the SBA is doing is facilitating the flow of that money from private institutions or public institutions, but not government institutions via a guarantee. It's done in other components of the capital markets. It's also done in other areas of private-public partnerships. Um, Think about the GSA, right? The GSA is the largest effective owner or leaseor of government buildings that are owned by private investors. Um, So there's sort of a mechanism that's been created there to help facilitate the construction, maintenance, and um, uh, sort of, you know, creation of government-occupied buildings at the GSA. The SBA performs a similar function in the small business market. Yeah, so so an SBA loan is maybe a bit of a misnomer. It's it's somebody else's loan with the SBA having a hand in it. So I also find it ironic that we're having this conversation just a couple of weeks after the collapse of Yellow and the seven hundred million dollar loan that the federal government made to Yellow to try to make it survive. Now it does look as if uh, there will be enough hard assets that can be sold at Yellow to cover that seven hundred million dollar loan. But I mean that that kind of dwarfed anything the SBA would do, didn't it? I don't, you know, I don't know the specifics of yellow, so I can't comment on. But seven hundred million dollars is not something you see out of the SBA. I'm assuming. Well, the SBA, the production of SBA loans on an annual basis is in the billions. So, in their, you know, servicing tens of thousands of underlying borrowers. So, I would say the order of magnitude of what the SBA is doing is significantly greater than trying to support one company. Um, and in fact. You know, the mission, as publicly stated, appears to be even more pro small business today than it was five years ago. And I believe that, you know, the, the, the SBA's involvement, very successful involvement, mind you, in the administration of the PPP program, um, was in many ways an incredible advertisement to the country of the functional relevance of the SBA. And these private-public partnerships that they have with banks and non-banks all over the country to help facilitate the flow of that capital—that's much needed in in 
in, in the small business community. So let's talk about the PPP program. Of course, there was always going to be a lot of focus on the fact that there was fraud. We knew that there was going to be fraud because to put together a program that quickly, you can't put in all the safeguards. Uh, how was, was, when you look back on the PPP program, how successful was it? And what does it say to, let's say, a trucking or a freight company in terms of it wanting to try to get some kind of financial backing from the SBA in the future? What is the SBA going to look for? Sure. Um, the very basic distinction between applying for PPP and applying for an SBA 7A loan is that the PPP, as you said, had fewer requirements in order to facilitate the flow of the capital. That was an important part of all of this, right? Um, as it pertains to the SBA's 7A program, the requirements up front in terms of documentation and the sort of what I would call the validation of financial information because we are making a loan and we are taking credit risk, we're facilitating that for financial institutions. We're not the lender, but we're gathering the information and we are compiling it in, in such a way that we can fill out the forms for the SBA and determine whether a trucking company or any small business is, um, is capable of being able to access this capital. You know, there are there are scoring mechanisms, traditional credit scoring mechanisms that are used. There's verification of financial information that is required. There are oftentimes personal guarantees of the major shareholders of the company that are required. These are all pretty standard loan agreement requirements. Of course, the SBA has things that are different than maybe what a standard bank loan would look like because for whatever reason that they've determined that that is important. And, you know, they're constantly trying to modify and improve their program to make it easier and easier and easier. The reality is that um, they want to facilitate the flow of this capital into the hands of small businesses and they want to see, you know, small businesses get approved to do this. Um, what we do is help businesses through the process. So going to annuitymarket.com and just starting a loan application, which doesn't really require a whole lot of information at the front of the process, by the time you're getting to the end where you'll clearly understand what you're eligible for and what the timing will be and what the, the interest rate will be and all of the specifics of the loan do need to be validated and documented along the way. But, you know, going into our portal, you can very quickly get a sense of what 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 you're eligible for and, you know, what the price of that capital might be. And then we have a team of people who, via technology, but also through human interaction, help you pull together your application. Um, so it's really quite the opposite of what the consumer's experiences these days at your big financial institution. I certainly feel like I never can get a human on the phone. I never can get a question answered. Um, I don't know how other people feel, but that's how I feel. Um, we do not have that. We have technology-enabled journey, a technology-enabled journey that is 
augmented by people. What's the success rate, not just with people who use Nuity, but do you have a general idea what the success rate is for every application to the SBA? How many actually result in the SBA giving approval? You know, it's interesting. Um, The statistics are skewed. And that is for a reason that was a primary driver on why we redeveloped Nuity to be involved in the SBA 7A program. And the statistics are skewed because people are often told that the SBA didn't approve them when, in fact, it was the financial institution that didn't want to do the loan. So it's easy to hide behind the SBA and say, you, you know, you weren't approved or you didn't, you didn't qualify. Now, there are things that are hard disqualifiers, right? Years in business, you know, revenue, you know, average revenues over the last three years do dictate the size of the loan. There are lots of different variables that, you know, could make you not eligible for an SBA loan, but the applications versus funding, you know, numerator denominator, I don't believe is an appropriate statistic because the vast majority of the financial institutions don't want to issue small loans. We believe the biggest problem in access to capital in the United States of America, broadly defined, is access. And, you know, getting access is a function of really having a, a journey that's a, a, enhanced by an intermediary like Nuity or some financial institution who is focused on it, um, but nonetheless is, um, you know, might have a different underwriting criteria. So what I say to everyone now is try. It doesn't take very long to try. um, And we will always be very direct as to why a loan didn't happen. Um, And, you know, what are the reasons? And, you know, if those reasons are because we do not want to take the risk for whatever reason, we will tell people that, um, you know, or our financial counterparty doesn't want to take the risk because they have, they have a credit underwriting box, as you would imagine. There's certain risks they want to take and certain risks they don't want to take. And it's, it is a free market mechanism. Um, and so it's not designed to, you know, work for every situation in every scenario. Well, Yoda in Star Wars may have said, do or do not, there is no try. But I think we would say here, you know, there, there is a try, to try to get funding from the SBA. As, and I think you made the point very, very well that access to capital is, is, is tough and certainly not getting any easier. There is, no, there is no better priced and structured loan to a small business than an SBA 7A loan, unless they have access to bank capital. And that's typically because they're a middle market company. They're not a small business. So broadly defined, small businesses don't have access to capital. And then furthermore, the access to long dated, appropriately structured and priced capital is very, very difficult. There's a big difference between borrowing on your credit card, which is short term and high rate versus accessing an SBA 7A loan, which is long duration, much cheaper costs, and you know better structure. So you know, I think that you know I, we are the beneficiary of what I would call you know another renaissance of the SBA, which I think was you know the 
the United States of America small business community understanding the institution as a function of the P- Paycheck Protection Program. And we believe that there is, you know, um, a tremendous amount of opportunity to, you know, to be helpful here. Well, we don't have any any time to talk about the employee retention credit, but you do that too. So anybody out there who wonders more about it, contact David directly. Uh, right to annuitymarket.com and you can start both both processes at the same time. Very good. Dave, we want to thank David Co- David Cody. He's the co-founder and co-CEO of Nuity, and they're a provider of SBA loan solutions and ERC employee retention credit solutions as well, services as well. Uh, David, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. Thank you, John. You have been watching, as always, Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. If you want to watch the video, you just go to YouTube. Just go to search YouTube, uh, Drilling Deep, and you'll see us. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. <laughs>